This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everybody, and welcome to Snark Monkey number 35 with members of Spandau Ballet. This much is true. This much is true. I should probably maybe just play them doing that song. But I could only give you a portion of it anyway before I I get dinged with the licensing fees, and I <laughs> I don't have a budget for that. <laughs> but you know Spandau Ballet. If you have been alive at all between 1985 and now, you've probably at least heard their song True, maybe their song Gold, maybe you were a big fan. If you watched MTV at any point in your life, you definitely saw them there. What an interesting story they've got. I talked to Gary, John, and Steve of the band. All five members actually have reformed and are back out on the road and sounding as good as they ever have. But they also have a very cool story to tell that takes a really interesting path from, well, it would be like a classic uh, screenplay if you wrote it about a band in the 80s. They came out of the new romantic scene in the U.K., where fashion and 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 presentation was just as important as the music, it seemed. But they also happened to be playing really great, kind of soulful-based music in this new wave, you know, environment. Uh, and then had tension and had issues and broke apart. And the remarkable thing is it almost took them 20 years to come back together. And when they did, they reformed... They let bygones be bygones, and they had some tough stuff going on, royalties, battles. All of it is documented in an excellent film. If you have any interest in the era and the scene of what was going on in Soho in the 80s, kind of coming out of punk and disco and how those things kind of coalesced into a whole different movement, and and what was going on in London was way different than what was going on here in the States. And uh, for me, and I bring this up with the guys, I don't know that I even knew of Spandau Ballet until the song True hit, and suddenly they were showing up on MTV. And to me, they came out of nowhere, but they really didn't. The movie is definitely worth watching. I would highly recommend you seek it out. I, I, I do believe it's out there available on demand. I think it's officially being released on Blu-ray and DVD in September, so it might actually have another surge of availability, but it's called Soul Boys of the Western World. So I talked to Gary, Steve, and John of the band, and uh, we go over lots of different stuff. It's a maybe a shorter uh, Snark Monkey podcast than I would like because we were under some time restrictions, and they didn't want to sit around and talk to me in their hotel room when they had places to go and people to see in Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, you know, I was not their idea of fun, but a really great talk. Um, with the guys, and uh, I think you'll dig it and enjoy. It's Bandal Ballet, Snark Monkey number 35. This much is true. This much is true. I think if I stop right there at the true, that I don't have to pay anything, right? 
Oh God, I hope so. I can't afford that. I need a sponsor. They can talk in the background. We can catch up. Yeah, I watched. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's been a while because we first started talking about this. I watched the movie a couple of weeks ago, so I'm trying to kind of redredge all that up a little bit. I think there are so many things that strikes me about the film. One, because being of an age and uh, an American at a time when MTV was really kind of kicking in, and I was one of those guys that me and my friends would just sit there and and zone out to it for hours at a time. But because I think in America we didn't have the history, the buzz that you guys had coming up in London, yeah. that you kind of came out of nowhere yeah. uh, on MTV. And so it was this new presence. Here's John Keeble, drummer. Just come. Hey, Sit down, John. Uh, it was... Um, yeah, and of course, you didn't get the bit that preceded True, I guess. I I'm trying to think when MTV... MTV kind of broke slowly across the country. Yeah, it was 81, and and it and not it every cable system New York. had it. It wasn't no. in New York. No. We, I mean, we went to New York, and uh, and they had no idea yeah. who we were. It's funny, because it homogenized the world so fast. It was... We first came to America, and we couldn't believe... <laughs> we couldn't believe the way the fashions looked, you know, because... You see, the... British working class kids are so into the way they look, and right. they, they always, you Wait, know, ahead you of the couldn't curve. believe what the fashion uh, looked we, like here. We couldn't believe what it looked like here because it was it seemed really straight and dated. Oh, to us. okay. I and thought then, you were saying it was no, outrageous because no, you guys were wearing no, some. Yeah, weird we were really shit. outrageous. Yes. See, you know, see the front of the video box, you know. <laughs> but um, and, and then when we came back, when MTV had arrived, of course, everyone had caught up. Everyone was wearing. You know what 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 the London kids were wearing. Right. It's, um, it did. It was the first. But it was the beginning of a globalization, really. But you know, I'm trying to remember what it was like because it was an amazing moment, being able to watch 24 hour music on TV. It was. I mean, thinking back to then, it was an extraordinary, exciting thing to have on. You just have it on in the corner of your room all the time. And I and I see it now. I see some of those videos now, and I'm trying to figure out what the hell we were so excited about but it was just it was a new experience i mean it was yeah, it, it was, was mini films you know i mean there was a lot of epics made at that point you know muscle bound was uh, oh yeah you know, it took yeah. two or two or three days to film and duran on boats and stuff and it, it was it, exploring the world via video you know it was uh, it was fantastic news sort of tool really well also part of it is that what you hit on which is you guys incorporated a look into the presentation it was very much a conscious effort to do that so there was a visual aspect that accompanied the music yeah, yeah. that maybe some artists cultivated once they knew that videos were going to be a thing but yeah. you guys already had something in place so it does perfectly yeah absolutely yeah, yeah did you um, i think that uh the visual side of being in a band for me growing up was probably more important than the music would i have bought Roxy Music's Virginia Plain or Bowie's, you know, Starman or Mark Boland's Hot Love if I had no idea what these guys looked like or if they didn't look as brilliant as they did look. You already answered one of my questions because one of the things you bring up is seeing Bowie doing Starman on top of the pops yeah. or, or whatever that performance yeah, was that night. Right. And I, w I was thinking the same thing. I was trying to think of that song 
as a song, which is just kind of this great pop song, yeah. but without that whole aura when about I, what he was creating. When you look back on t- into um, uh, British pop culture, it goes hand in hand with youth culture, and youth culture comes first. So you look back to the history of it, you know, going going from the Cavern Club or, or through to to um, you know Eel Pie Island or to um, the UFO Club on Tottenham Court Road where Psychedelia started, or, you know, the Roxy where, and the Vortex where punk was happening. It was always about place, and it was about kids doing, you know, coming up with looks and ideas and attitude, and then bands would come out of that. It wasn't the other way around. Right. So it was all, we're talking fashion. Steve Norman, he's here. Hello there. Did you all buy into that? Did you understand that the look and the clothing and the and the hair and everything was part of it? Or I mean, when you know, when you're you're young, you you're sort of looking for to find your identity, and 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 that was the same with us. You know, you're looking for your tribe. Um, you're looking for a means of expression. If you don't have sort of um, the means of of money to to sort of like I don't know. Um, to help out in that way, you have to sit, sort of kind of think about it, and that, and that's where clothes come come into it, because it's very it, it's easy to sort of um, create your look and find yourself by 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 looking at what other people are wearing and go right, that, you know, I feel a kindred spirit there. I want to I want to take some parts from that person and because you didn't want to copy anything that had been going on. I mean, punk, you, and the movie covers all this. I don't want to do too much. I really want people to watch this because I think it's as good a history of that period in in London as as much as the band. I mean, there was a lot of stuff we didn't have. I mean, I grew up in West Texas and I was in L.A. And other You're than shot, man. yeah, oh god, yeah, because that's another thing about MTV that that was a revelation because L.A had its Sunset Strip and stuff, but that that had become almost passe. It didn't have the scene that New York had, and New no. York seemed to be a direct reflection of what London was doing. I mean, like you said, that, that America would pick up some of the thing, the Sex Pistols look, the punk thing got picked up over here shortly after the the new romantics look that got picked up the the whole reaction to disco i mean the pistols was a reflection on you know new york dolls and stuff like that right. really i mean you, you think know, it was the other way around yeah that, that new york begat the pistols Good. usa really. usa and, we get one uh, thank you and the cbgb's and you know right. and ramones and all that stuff so uh, there's, a, there's a synergy isn't it everything feeds off of each other yeah that's true yeah you know you know i actually think that what what happened with with the new romantic movement, which was obviously you know, you know, influenced by Bowie, and those early days of those Blitz clubs back in London were Bowie nights, ostensibly. But it seemed to suit the West Coast much more, um, and I think it was because, um, well, look at band like the Beach Boys. You know, we were you know, this film's called Soul Boys: The Western World. You know, Soul Boys is about you know, we were white aspirational kids mm-hmm. you know dressing up to look good not to look down not to not to look crappy you know that's a kind of middle class mentality in a way you know to try and make it much more that you know i think we were we were very suited to the, to the sunshine i mean some of those early <laughs> some of those early early um spandau shots of us before we had a record contract we went down to saint tropez you know we purposely tried to wind up the sort of likes of the music press by by posing on beaches in, in swimming trunks, you know? <laughs> but in a way, that was our sensibility. And the Beach Boys had that. And I think, you know, Spanel Valley suited 
um, the West Coast of America really much more than the East Coast. I'd like to hear a little, uh, you mentioned the Beach Boys, which obviously you guys were aware of American music and, and other forms of music, and you talk in the movie about some of the influences that, that sent you on that. One thing, uh, one anecdote that comes to mind all the time for me is Elvis Costello on his on his TV show he did mentioned, and it blew me away, and it just, it, it I had to wrap my head around it. He talked about one of the biggest influences on his singing was Bing Crosby. And I sat there for a minute, going, "That doesn't sound right at all." And but he, but it was because well, he his, has that vibrato, doesn't he? Yes, because <laughs> it, and it was his parents listening to certain artists, yeah. and as a kid, and and the whole idea of family sharing songs yeah. that made sense. That's and true. then and then I hear Elvis sing a ballad, and I go, "Oh, I no, he's a crooner yeah. when he yeah. when he gets down there." Yeah. I'm curious, as like children before. You know, you really kind of bought into rock and roll or, or yeah. soul or whatever. You're very much shaped by your parents' uh, record collection. Right. I mean, for for me, it was you mentioned the Beach Boys. It was God only knows, and it was Good Vibrations, and that kicked that kicked that off. I mean, there were other things in there, like I don't know, um, Bobby Goldsboro and stuff. But those that sort of those tunes the big tunes came through whatever the um whatever the artist was i think and that was an appreciation of of songs uh, i w- my uncle had uh, for example he was very much into the shadows so oh, i got wow. yeah i got the percussion they were huge side there, right? from brian bennett of yeah. the shadows um and, and that was even before i wanted to be a guitarist as in hank marvin so i think we we're all kind of shaped initially by by our parents record collection tony in, in particular yeah, tony. would be was was massively influenced by his parents and that was uh, and that would be jack jones frank sinatra mm-hmm. he was crooning you know a long time before any like rod stewart's american johnny ray as well johnny ray, johnny ray yeah. who i didn't know who that was until Dexy's Midnight Runners name drops him in in there wouldn't be a Morrissey I don't think if it wasn't for Johnny Ray really I don't know I mean he was a pop star you know and he was he was very much into the visuals as well and he had Screaming Girls so but I think I think you know the other thing that affected us deeply was we were Londoners and as far as I could see you know London was the centre of 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 all music and we had the responsibility of the new decade coming at us and that's you really when, felt that that's you, when we were coming of age yeah. we were going to come of age people were going to look there was a sense of evolution you could literally everyone was passing the baton going all the way back to the two eyes coffee bar in soho in 1958 when tommy Steele and cliff richard started doing british rock and roll and the baton kept on getting passed and and punk had done it had its day and what was next and we took it and we knew it was that you know this was the modern age that was about to happen and um and i think bands of all our generation that was our zeitgeist it that's what strikes me about the movie john is that um you all five of you seem to have this singularity of purpose it wasn't and, and again this is the documentary and i don't know if this is shaded this way but like what gary's talking about you were really focused on how you were going to present yourself. What was the next phase? It wasn't this kind of whim. It wasn't this haphazard, no, no, uh, so, I let's mean, just try it and see what happens. It, oh, and, was, and, I mean, you were probably motivated by uh, girls. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, same old rock and roll dream. Sure. Yeah, but, yeah, no, there was a lot of planning in bedrooms and dreaming, really. Uh, wanting, to, wanting to make your mark, wanting to, you know, we're an effective team. I think, I think there was, so there's a richness to the band, you know. Yeah, we all have, you know, similar influences, but uh, 
it's a pretty broad church, you know. Some people are more into soul, some people are a bit more into rock. What so, about you? Um, more more rock based, yeah. yeah. You know, Bad Company and things like that. That was that was that was my favourite band, you know, when I was twelve. So um, I think we all came together on Bowie. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. The Venn diagram sort of meets at Bowie, right? Uh, at, at at Roxy, at certain other things. But and did but, Spandau music satisfy? enough of I what think, you were I doing. I think that's the beauty of it. I think, you know, you look through our set now and, you know, it's three or four decades of music and, and it's, it's a really rich vein of, of different styles, you know, from, you know, the electro-pop stuff to start with, then the funk of chant number one, you know, the soul of, of true stadium rock of, you know, barricades mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, so as a player, um, it's... It's a lot of fun, you know, you really can cover a lot of ground. And I think, you know, our ability to move between genres like that has been one of the key elements in the band. Yeah. I mean, just, just to say as well, we were very focused on, on, on the future and how to manipulate the scene before we even had a record deal. And I think Steve Dagger, we, uh, we have a lot to thank him for that. You know, he, he this was a kid at school, a couple of years older than us, who... Uh, who was obsessed with managers, rock and roll managers, you know, Peter Meaden or Andrew Lou Goldman, you know, he was obsessed with their, you know, Malcolm McLaren and the way, you know, that they were conceptualizing a band, you know, but he was a, he was a mate, he was a, you know, contemporary. It wasn't like some older Svengali who uh, had the idea, Kit Lambert, people like that. Oh, right, so, right. So, um, so, and I think we did, we did think a lot about w- being the representatives of the next big thing. That was what we wanted to be, you know, in the same way that, you know, the Floyd or the Pistols or Bowie had been of their particular genres. Were you, maybe you can answer this, Steve. I'll give it did, a go. did you immediately have like this tiered process? Like it was America in your sights, was the rest of the world in your sights, or was it kind of focused on the immediate scene of London? No, I think at that point, you know, when you form, when you form a band, you want to you want to be the Beatles. You want to be the Rolling Stones. You know we wanted to be both the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and uh, you know we wanted to act uh, uh, rock stars' life. I think that, that that's what every guy in a band wants to do when they form that band. Um, and you know we were very lucky. We went we we had success with the first single, Friends from School. Uh, I, I I can't I can't tell you how. Um, how exciting it was for us to be like a group of real close friends that all of a sudden we're in the public eye and we're selling records and we're travelling the world and having screaming girls at us. But it, exactly, it went to plan exactly. Yeah, mm. yeah. That- I think the difficult, the, the difficult bit was obviously when we got to our third album because, you know, we were a cult band, you know, that were sort of ahead of the curve. Um you know, known as you know this new club scene that was happening. We were we were releasing twelve inch dance mixes, and I don't think anyone of our kind of genre was doing that at that point. And then, what do you do next? Because right. you can't be a cult forever, you know. And I remember we did we did this we did this show in front of a load of uh, our sort of cognoscenti um, in Bournemouth, and this guy was saying, you know, like, well, you've been on top of the pops quite a lot now. You're quite commercial. I'm not sure I'm I'm into you anymore. <laughs> and it was the time to write the true album. You know, right. it was. Well, you know, let's let's do a, a, an album full of, you know, songs that that, <clears throat> and not in a cynical way, but in a way. Well, you know, we've got nothing to lose now. We don't have to worry about 
you know, it's got to be this groove or that groove. Let's just write some good songs. Steve had found a saxophone. That was his new instrument. Right. It was another voice. And I think when we went to do that true album in Nassau, you know, we, we were trying to soak up some of that blue-eyed soul that I know that we were really into, like Robert Palmer and Talking Heads and, and, and Daryl Hall, John Oates, bands like that. And, um, and, and I think we, we achieved that and we found the sound, sound of the band. Yeah. I mean, typically by the time, again, it depends on a band's history, but it seems like the second album is always the tough one, especially if the first one breaks yeah. through. This was a slightly different evolution. You had a little bit of time to just tweak, perfect, to find a sound. I mean, those things kind of coalesced. Yeah, I mean, I mean the first album, you know, as, as, as for most bands, you record your live set pretty much. You know, right. That's it. You go in and, and, and record it. Second album was a bit more experimental, and we were sort of... Yeah, in between two stalls to some degree. You know, we had we had the the funk of chant number one, which you know, preceded that album, and then the second side of Diamond was, um, how should we say, a little experimental. We or, were quite Pink Floyd. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pink, Pink Floydy, really? We, 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 we yeah. went to that kind of. You know, I think you know we we all grown up buying prog albums for a bit, and we, you know, and ain't nothing wrong with prog. Those, no, <laughs> <laughs> here's the rock and guy. I, chiming I think in. like you do at that age, you're kind of dipping your toe into all these musical, you know, right. pools, trying to find what, you know, trying to find who you might become. Um, I mean, paradoxically, yeah, we became a band <laughs> totally different that. To, <laughs> the, to, that, to that. But, you know, you come and see us live. There's elements of all of it, isn't exactly. there? At the moment, I mean, now, like Gary is, 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 uh, is taking over a lot of solo duties. You, you, never, you never really played as much sort of lead guitar as Nile Rogers' tight as you like funky guitar. He's one of the best funky rhythm players I know on this planet. But no, seriously. But you know now is that the first time uh, yeah. he's ever told you that? By the way, again. <laughs> 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 I thought we were making love the other night. Wow. <laughs> Noise we're having having but, breakthroughs here yeah. but you know now, now it's great so, yeah, yeah, excuse me that's what he said. No, but it's really, I think it's fantastic. Now we've got these Floydish moments where, you know, his guitar is soaring and he's, you found yourself on that, that, you know, with that, that, that kind of experimental prog rock. It's, it's almost like we're jamming there and every, every, and it changes every night. No song is the I same. I think at the heart of what Spandau do is, is melody. You know, we have a, we have a strong sense of melody. Going back to what Steve was saying earlier, you know, we grew up loving singles. We grew up loving pop music and, and um you know i uh, and i think we have in in tony hadley one of the one of the best singers i mean this guy's voice just got better and better and better and we don't drop a single key uh to accommodate uh, a, a guy in his 50s like a lot of bands do you know and you know this that's that's his that's his unique selling point. He has one of the best voices in the business. Well, that's the to me the the climax of the film is that moment. You guys are in that rehearsal space after after that big break, and I, I'm going to get chills just talking about it because I sat there going, "Whoa!" Because the there was the tension, there was all that, there was the finally coming back together. There was like, is this even going to work? Yeah. I mean, do because. I, I think about this. I do the math all the time now uh, because I'm old. You had been apart longer than you had actually been a band, and that's a that's a pretty wide gap to be that disconnected. And the moment that you came in all together, and you're in that tight little circle around yeah. the kit, and when Tony's voice hits and you guys start playing, yeah, it's. Re I mean, I felt that through yeah. the screen. That, that, yeah, and that was, it was that special. Was not fake. 
It, that was that was easy though. You know, getting to that point was was very difficult. But you know, it all sort of melted away as soon as we started playing. That's that's where we really connect as people. You know, as as players, as musicians. Well, it also says something about that the five of you stayed the five of you, which is rare. It's, it's very unique. We were talking about this the other week. You know, there are very few bands who have only ever had you know the same members in right. it. And you know, now I mean, I think U two is the only one we came up with. Um, that's about it that, yeah. you know, every band's got someone who's d- left or died or been replaced or, or whatever and I, I think that is, that is one of the key strengths Still to stand out cool. there's plenty of time for that <laughs> shit yeah. it might happen today but that that speaks to I bring that up because that kind of speaks to the fact that now as you're playing again you have such a connection no matter how long the gap was you have the ability to play the way you always knew you could you don't have a new voice in there so you do get the chance to explore a little bit. You do get to play a little differently than you did when you were touring in 1985. And you trust each other that it's not going to take you off in some strange direction. Yeah, that's right. Uh, We're actually sounding more like Spandau now than we've ever sounded. You think so? Yeah, definitely. When when we recorded the new tracks with Trevor Horn, you know, we always say that it's very... A band always says it, never been able to capture the live sound on on tape, on record. It's always striving for that sort of energy that you get on a live show. And um, I think possibly the last three are as close as we've ever got to sounding like us live. Um, and it was a great indication, the way it came together, how quick it was, what we threw on the table. You know, we just thought, right, the songs there, we couldn't record all of them. They only wanted two. And uh, we ended up giving them three in about four days. So that was a fantastic um, uh, a sign as to how creative we are and how well we work together. It comes together so quick these days. Yeah, uh, that little bit in the in the film when the re- uh, when we all kind of gather in that circle in the rehearsal room and the camera's not allowed to come in to the circle. My brother, that we weren't shooting a documentary at that point. My brother had just brought a little um, c- camera along and he'd stuck it up in a in a corner on a and it was running the whole time we were in that room, and um, and so it was you know genuine totally genuine I mean I never forget that moment because when we started to hear the music it was Spandau Ballet and I hadn't heard that music for nearly 20 years it, and, and it was the other reason we wanted to get back together so much because the records didn't really represent who we believed we were what we were with this great gang of guys who could play on stage you know play really well you know we've all got you know good chops and uh, and have fun at doing it and, and, and I don't think our legacy had really been you know, it wasn't right. You know, we needed to readdress that. Okay, so this was, in a way, this was... There are a lot of bands out there who... Last night, Boston and REO Speedwagon played at the Forum. A um, lot of people went to see that. Well, they're doing a doubleheader, are they? Yeah, they're, they're co-headlining. Who's playing uh, first? Who's playing last? Are they swapping it around? I think they're swapping back and uh, forth, yeah. Um, but there's an element of... And nostalgia is a powerful thing. I mean, I recognize that. I've worked in radio. I know when you play a hit from a certain time, it brings back a lot of emotion. Sure. But it, this seems more than that. This I mean, is... It is. I mean, as Steve said, you know, the, you know, there's songs in the set. There's one song that was written in 1978, and then there's three songs that were recorded last year. So, you know, it, that's, a, that's a huge body of work. And, you know, nostalgia's always, always sort of thrown at bands as some sort of bad thing. I think, you know, nostalgia's a good thing. It's, you know, and only the, only the, the cream survives. And, and the fact is, we've got such a, such a load of great songs. You know, it was, when we started the tour, it was like, wow, how are we going to fit them all in? Well, it doesn't seem that it's just about nostalgia. It seems Absolutely like not. that it's if you go on... It seems like this is a continuation and you guys took, took this 
ridiculously long coffee break, yeah. as, a, as opposed to the Eagles, who said we'll never work together again, and are on. I mean, um, oh, they, they only split they, up for twelve years or something. Well, That's a yeah, rubbish but, yeah, but split when up. they got back together, I know. <laughs> yeah. I think you've got the record actually, Absolutely. but they but they can't even talk to each other. But the weird I mean, thing is, I just can't believe it when people keep. You know, we keep hearing nineteen years. I can't believe it because it just feels so continuous that, that we're here together again you know and that we've been playing and making music it just feels so right you know i get up on the stage and i still see those guys that you know i stood next to in the music room in 1976 i mean going on stage is a bit like getting on a bike you know that feeling you're on a bike and and you could be like 15 years old you know you don't feel like 55 years old and that's what being on stage is like and uh, and i just you know, it seems extraordinary that we, we had all those times when we couldn't visit places in case we'd bump into one, uh, one of us. The great thing about, you know, um, us getting back together, because we, we realised when we did get back together and we, we were working together on the last tour in 2009, how, how important it was that we kept together because we grew up together. You know, it's like I, I you personally. were to get no matter how long that period was. That yeah, was it, so concentrated because you were. That's right. Even in your we formative I years, I thought about you know. these guys nearly every day. Yeah. Oh yeah, I used to dream about. Honestly, like I, when I was living in Ibiza, you know, I, yourself, I, sunny yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, But when I was living in Ibiza, I remember in particular one. I was I dreamt that we all met up in Pasha, which is a big club out in Ibiza. You did all meet up in Pasha. You yeah. are Fred. <laughs> 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 That actually so, happens. You know, it was very, it, for me, and it, I woke up thinking, oh, my God, it didn't happen, you know. And, and the fact that I couldn't look at the saxophone for a good two to three years, I went back into, like, onto the guitar again. And that was so symbolic of, so of, of Spandau that, that I couldn't do it, you know. And so when we had the chance to be back together again, I think we all thought, well, we're not going to let that happen again. We're just going to hang on to this because this is very special, not just musically, but also as friends. You know, we've got the same jokes. It's a, it really is. You you don't want to be in the dressing room an hour before we go on stage. You know, we're back at, at school again with those that childish humour and you know that stuff that keeps us all together. And you know, it's it's marvelous. We're having the best time now. I think honestly, say that. What was remarkable about the documentary is to me is as a movie fan, it has. If somebody wrote a fictional drama about. The formation of a band in this yeah. kind of wild time yeah. and 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 drawing from influences and then this spark of success and then all the things that happen after that and then the reformation and that big teary yeah. third act where everybody's and it's triumphant and they're singing and it's like you guys were a living well, you know, narrative. No one would believe a story like that. I mean, <laughs> to be absolutely honest, it's why we thought it'd make a good film. Yeah. You know, uh, because it follows because all the we, beats. We, we, yeah. When we got to that, we thought, wow, you know, this is. And also, there's another thing that, that we, we, you know, film visuals since MTV, going back to the beginning of this chat, you know, the visual side of, of bands has become more and more important. And what's even more important now is the soap opera of groups. You know, it's, reality TV is huge. <laughs> right. You know, visuals are huge. Everyone wants to, you know, people. And so, you know, we approach this film thinking, well, you know, what do we do? Do we go and make another album and then worry about it getting in the charts? You know, no, let's, let's make something different. And, you know, we have a good story. And I think people know our story now. They know our personalities. They know our issues. They know uh, how much we've grown. And, and, and I think we reflect 
a lot of people of our age we reflect stories that they have in their lives um we're not just the band we're just you know we're someone who can we're a gang of guys who can prove that you know you can make things work get back together and and i think when people come and see us you know I mean, maybe they're hoping for us to have a fight on stage. I don't know. I'm sure there might be that element to it. But uh. if you could throw that in at some point, you know, choreograph that a little we'll wrestling. Welcome that. A little yeah, wrestling thanks. wouldn't be bad. Uh, uh, you mentioned film, and I have to ask this because I, I just saw the trailer of it the other day. Legend with Mr. Tom Hardy and a new a reboot of the craze. Yeah. Are you are you protective of that story a little bit, Gary? Uh, I'm, I'm we should bit. mention Gary and Martin. Starred in the craze, nineteen ninety. It's really good. Have you watched that in a while? Uh, it, they're, they're, they're screening it at the BFI, which is a, a big uh, kind of um, British film institute in London in summer. Uh, and we're going along to do a Q and A because it's twenty five years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit kind of weird about Tom Hardy doing the craze again. Uh, and the director did say that he was. Um, highly influenced by our film I think our film stands up and will always stand up and no matter how great Tom Hardy is going to be in his new one there's always space for another one but uh, hey you know the originals are always the best aren't they <laughs> absolutely let me get uh, real quick we'll go down the line and I'll let you guys go um, besides some of the other artists you've mentioned is there anybody listening to right now that strikes you I'm listening to some weird stuff Nils Fromm German uh, sort of uh, avant-garde um, sort of bit Eno-ish. I listen to him quite a lot. Um, quite like, um, oh my god, I'm always I'm always buying stuff and listening. And there's lots of there's I think there's a lot, there's a lot of good stuff. There's going good on stuff out there. Right? The horrors are really good. I think they're a good new band. Um, what were we listening to today? We were listening to D'Angelo today, weren't we? D'Angelo. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, it's great. <clears throat> What about you, John? For me, anything Josh Homme's involved in, mm. so you know, the Queens and Eagles, Death Merle, and uh, and Eels. Eels, I saw, ah. saw him four times last year. Um, I, I simply love Mark Everett. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Steve? I think uh, someone new, uh, possibly recently, I keep dragging this album out, Pale Green Ghost by John Grant. I just think, think it's a most wonderfully atmospheric um, album and it's his struggle with coming to terms with his his uh, sexuality, and uh, it's just wonderful. Um, and, but also, you know, looking back as well, I was very um, privileged to be asked by Iggy Pop to play at Wembley Stadium with him as a, as a guest on a couple of tunes. So I've been and been absorbing all of his old stuff and just going back to the to the proto punk himself. You know, Iggy Pop was a big influence on us. We even did years ago. We did. Um, um, nightclub oh, was it fun time? Oh, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. That was one of our early early tunes in in San Jose. In fact, yeah. You guys seem so energized, and I know it's just not for me because why would you care about me? Um, this can go on a while, right? No, there's, there's no stopping it now. Yeah, though, really. We've had the, we've had the break, and you know, I think you got some time to make up for. Really, recording the material last year was was very important. It really put the band back in the now, and I think you know when we've finished playing around the world at the end of this year, then I think we're all looking forward to getting in and making some more new music. It's amazing, gentlemen. Congratulations on everything. Thank you so much. Band out back for good. Get. Get a monkey! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.